Raider Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour with your host, Alexander. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between and beyond. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms. I'm Alexander Leibnam. This is edition 126. We're into week 32 of 2023. And let me welcome you to August, Women's Month in South Africa. And uh, I'm excited to be with you once more. If you would like to send through your comments, your questions, your feedback, well, you can do so throughout the show or eh, sometime this week. Uh, whenever you get some time, you can use the email address editor at santantimes.ca.ca or we can connect on social media at santantimes or visit the website www.santantimes.ca.ca and if you're listening live on Mix 93.8 and uh, not at a later stage on the podcast, well, the Mix FM WhatsApp line is open on 0848 084 and I think a lot of you have already saved that uh, onto your phones, which makes it a hell of a lot easier to use. A special welcome to everyone listening in Johannesburg and Pretoria, across South Africa, or anywhere else in the world, online or on air, wherever you are. I'm happy to report that all is well in Santonland. And uh, as many of you who listen regularly know, that I'm always joined by my trusty left hand, Vincenzo. Buongiorno. Uh, that's about as much as I know. My Italian hasn't improved much uh, over all these months that we've been working together, but uh, we'll get there. I think I'm done with winter, though, Vincenzo. I think I could uh, really do with a bit of spring or some summer. We were going to have to just hang in there for another couple of weeks. I said first of September. Somebody said to me the other day, no, that first week of September is still cold. There's always that last cold front that we get before uh, we really get into the warmer months. So, um, yeah. Let's hope for the best. Another busy week in the Santon Times diary, but uh, I did manage to join a preview of a screening of a movie that'll be hitting our cinemas in South Africa in about uh, two weeks' time. It's called The Sound of Freedom, and it is truly a heartbreaking yet important movie. And uh, I think we're still going to be chatting about this in the coming weeks. I'm busy trying to pull some interviews together because uh, we're going to be talking about this movie, I think, extensively. Uh, Sound of Freedom. Uh, go check out the trailer on YouTube. And uh, while we're busy doing some uh, PSA, some public service announcement, uh, this has been on my heart for a while. I've been driving to gym in the early hours uh, of the morning uh, in and around Santon. And apart from the buses and the minibus taxis who completely ignore uh, the red lights and are literally putting other people at risk when they drive because they don't even stop at a red light. They just literally drive through. So if, you're, if you've got a green light and you're wanting to go, which is you know your right of way, uh, you literally have to stop at a green light and look left and right because you're never quite sure if uh, one of these other commuter taxis or buses or whatever are actually going to stop at a red light. So that's one thing. But what I'm kind of finding quite disturbing, how many people there are on foot on the roads who are dressed in dark colors or in black clothing. Now, if you're driving in the mornings and it's dark and then it gets compounded when there's actually um, when there's load shedding, you are completely invisible to motorists. There's been so many people that I've had to swerve out of the way of or you know, put on your brights or flash because you can see sort of a silhouette moving across the road, but you cannot see anybody. It's unbelievably dangerous, not just for people walking, but also for people driving. And if, uh, if you're one of those people who walks in the morning, who has to get to work early in the morning, and I mean, especially because in winter now, uh, the you know, sunrise is a bit later, sunset is a bit earlier, please 
try and wear some bright colors, even if it's a, a bright hat or bright shoes or something bright, or just wear bright clothing altogether. Or if you work with people that are in the office with you or that work for your company and uh, you can put out a bit of a message, it, it is so critical because I'm just so concerned that at some point something is going to go horribly wrong because it is, it's, like, it's like ghosts. It's like you're invisible in, in the dark. And uh, I think wearing some bright colors uh, when walking on our roads, and even if you're jogging, if you're doing some early morning exercise on the roads, it'll really make a difference. Uh, maybe even get one of those head torches or, or you get those reflector bands. I mean, there's, there's many cost-effective solutions to try and do that. And uh, it could save more than one life. Coming up on this week's show, if you enjoy the occasional gin and tonic, then uh, you will be well familiar with a renowned label in South Africa. And I look forward to chatting to the founder, who's all the way in France at the moment. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about what's happening with that particular spirit. Then uh, he's the CEO of one of Germany's leading motor vehicle brands here in South Africa. And I'll be catching up with him on the occasion of a major milestone that they're celebrating. So stay tuned for that. And finally, I wrap up the hour with one of South Africa's most well-known female voices. This and more is coming up shortly. It's time to get the hour going with a bit of music first. And uh, it's uh, going to be a classic. Take a listen. Promote your brand. Advertise your business. Our audience could be your next client. Contact the Santon Times today. The latest news. The biggest names. The best destinations. The hottest entertainment. This is the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 with Missing by Everything But The Girl, the Todd Terry remix. Takes you back to the 90s, doesn't it? But it's, a, it's an all-time classic. It's time to take a look at your headlines for this week. Could this be happening? I'm not sure if we're ready for it. The Rio via Bus Rapid Transit Phase 1C project construction is scheduled to kick off this week in the heart of the city's financial hub, Santon. After numerous stops and attempted starts, the Johannesburg Development Agency, on behalf of the City of Johannesburg's Transport Department, is undertaking the hopes to elevate public transportation. Now, initial construction was due to begin the second quarter of 2021, and that was for a projected period of 10 months. Then an 18-month construction project of the final Rio Via station in the Phase 1C route was scheduled to commence on the 17th of October, 2022. And now... This week could be it. We might finally see the dormant bus stations in and around Santon Central coming to life. Well, if you want the full details, well, they're up on the Santon Times website and uh, how the construction will affect traffic flow over the coming weeks and months. So if you're in and out of Santon Central on a regular basis, just check this out because there's a couple of roads that'll be affected and uh, you might have to just rework your your regular route uh, a little bit uh, to avoid that and to, uh, have, you know, not have any frustrations. Then Flysafe is expanding its network. Uh, they announced uh, the addition of Harare, Livingston, Victoria Falls, and Maputo to uh, the regional routes that they look after. So if you're planning your holidays, well, this is certainly good news. And uh, Johannesburg Harare flights, as well as flights to Livingston, are live, and you can book those and you can make that happen. And then uh, Johannesburg to Victoria Falls, which is a little bit different because that's on the Zimbabwean side. So Livingston is Victoria Falls on the Zambian side, and then Victoria Falls is on the Zimbabwean side. Couldn't be a little bit confusing. And also the Johannesburg to Maputo 
uh, route. So uh, Johannesburg to Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, and Johannesburg to Maputo in Mozambique. That only kicks off on the 3rd and 5th of October, respectively. And they've also added the Mauritius and Zanzibar routes some time back. And uh, let's be honest, you know what? Every little bit of competition we can get into the market, it hopefully improves prices, it hopefully improves customer service, and all those good things. So I think that's a worthwhile thing to note. And finally, storage property, uh, South African self-storage property real estate company, is uh, setting up a major modern self-storage facility on Santon Drive in the heart of Santon. And construction on that will start uh, this November. And the building is scheduled for completion in early 2025. Well, let's park those headlines right there for this week. If you enjoy your South African gin, you'll be well familiar with Musgrave Gin, uh, best known for releasing the first pink gin way back when. And uh, I'm thrilled to chat to the founder of this award-winning spirit, I'm joined by Simone Musgrave right after the break. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. Did you know that one in five girls drop out of school when they reach puberty because they don't have the means to manage their monthly menstruation? Rudder My Pad is a girl's solution to staying in school. It's easy to use, cost-effective, with unique and very cool designs. Rudder My Pad is sustainable and durable with a lifespan up to five years. Visit rudder.co.za to sponsor a girl, a school, or to place an order. Empowering young women, my choice, my future, my life, my pad. The best of talk and music in one hour. This is the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and available on all good podcast platforms wherever you are in the world. And as we get this week's show on the road, uh, yeah, well, it's Women's Month, it's August, and uh, as we do celebrate uh, that in South Africa. And I thought, well, it's a great opportunity to chat to uh, some of South Africa's most accomplished and successful uh, women in business and sport and entertainment, wherever they are. We're going to try and get them on over the next couple of weeks. And one of them is uh, joining me now. and. Uh, if you're into uh, the odd gin and tonic, well, you might know her product very well. You might be familiar with Musgrave Gin. It's probably one of our best gins in South Africa. And uh, it's done exceptionally well. I, and uh, I'm sure Simone will fill me in. But here she is, the founder of uh, Musgrave Gin, Simone Musgrave. It's great to have you on the Santon Times Hour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a great month to celebrate women. A- absolutely. With the gin and tonic. Absolutely. <laughs> now, so one of the, the latest developments and something that's actually happened quite recently is that you've actually moved out of Musgrave Gin. So the only thing Musgrave about the gin is the name on the label. Absolutely. It's, uh, it was actually what I intended to do when I, when I started Musgrave. I always said I want to build this to sell it. And I knew that, you know, I, I like starting things. And then when and things get, you know, then I'm looking for the next thing. So, so that was always my intention, and I've managed to to secure the deal. So that went through a month ago. Unbelievable! How, how does it feel having to give up your your business child? I mean, this is something that I think every entrepreneur dreams of: building a successful business. Like you were saying, it was part of the plan that one day you would sell it. But it's uh, probably a different reality when you do get to that point when you actually do have to call it a day and hand over that to a completely different uh, owner. Absolutely. And it, you know, it is something that I miss. I, I take sneak peeks at the Instagram page still and just to check that they're doing it properly. But I think because I had set that, that goal for myself and it was a personal goal of wanting more time, not being so stressed, COVID helped that along as well. It was such a difficult time uh, in the liquor business that 
in some ways it killed my my passion and my drive. We exited the COVID period and the ba- and liquor bans with you know with with quite a sore heart. And so part of my passion and and the liquor industry had changed quite a lot. So it was quite tough as a small business to to really make that next bit of difference that I needed to make. Mm. So part of me is just really excited to see Musgrave handed over to a big entity who can sort of raise this child. Yeah. And so yes, of course it's a it's a morning period, but it's it's one of excitement to see where it goes. And I would really essentially want it to fly. Absolutely. And so so I, I do I do sort of wake up in the morning sometimes and think, well, you know, have I done the right thing? But but I, I do think it's the right time to do it. Well congratulations on it nonetheless. But let's go back to those uh, those days. What what got you to uh, venture into the spirits business and establish Musgraveton? So to be honest, I was facing retrenchment. I had been a head of innovation for a big foods business, RCL Foods, for for many years. I'd survived three acquisitions of this business. And, you know, they wanted me to move to Durban and and centralize everything in Durban. And I I couldn't move. I wanted to be in Cape Town with my children. They were still at school. And so I thought, geez, I better find something to do. And I was a trend analyst for the business. I was always watching the trends. And I saw this gin thing and it was on a trip to London. We were on a food trip and I think we were tasting sandwiches 24 hours a day. Um, and I sort of saw this gin thing and I jumped on a gin and tonic tour one evening while I dumped all my colleagues. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, I resonate with this. I remember so many occasions at sundown as when my parents drinking a gin and tonic in the bush. And so I really understood the moment. I understood the the, the the drink, but one thing that struck me was everything I was seeing in London was a British story, not an African story. And with the the brand story that I brought and a family heritage story, I really thought, well, let me play with this. And so it was very much a sideline business. Um, and 18 months later, I'd, I'd launched Musgrave Original. I had la- a year later launched Pink, and I was still employed. And I was waiting and waiting for that retrenchment because you know I needed the six month salary to keep going. Um, so. So it really started as as a little sideline project for to do something fun, and and just I hit the trend at the right time and it absolutely exploded. So yeah. so it wasn't I had no business plan I had no money to invest I took some money out of my bond, and I, I did something on the side that I thought I could maybe pull in a little bit of extra money while I was looking for the next job. Amazing. I think there's a lot of uh, MBA candidates that are busy scratching their neck and, and having a bit of an anxiety attack. Uh, no business plan, <laughs> money from the bond. But that's sometimes some of the best businesses, how they start. And uh, I mean, you you mentioned it. I mean, you hit Musgrave Gin when the zeitgeist was right for gin, because gin up until a certain point was considered like a bit of an, an old for sort of drink that you would drink, you know, if you went on safari or, you know, you were over 80 and, and mm. you know, t- needed a tipple in the afternoon. And suddenly it became the super trendy craft uh, thing that even uh, anybody in their 20s and 30s was drinking with a bit of cucumber and a bit of blueberries. And, and that's kind of when you entered the market. But yet it suddenly became a very crowded space because everyone who had a bathtub or who had some juniper berries in their in their herb rack decided they're going to start making uh, gin. How did you decide to strategically position this brand in the market? I mean, wh- where did you get that mm. insight from? So having been in fast moving consumer goods for most of my career, you know, I was very aware of, of product. And so I'd been working on things like Omar Rusks and Yum Yum Peanut Butter and some of these brands that, you know, very much household names. And I just had this ink, like need to, to do something a lot sexier than peanut butter. 
And so I decided that whatever I was going to do with the gin would be high-end luxury, a luxury brand. The story is one of, of adventure and luxury in Africa and all this beautiful aesthetic that I brought. So it was very much a, a very clear decision when I started that I wanted this to sit right at the top of luxury brands. And I always, one thing I speak about is that I had this massive vision of, you know, being one of South Africa's luxury brands. And I've actually had to fight for that over the years, you know, to stay luxury, to stay at a premium price point um, and to deliver the product to the consumer in a luxury way. So I think what happened was we were first, we were the first pink. Uh, we were one of the first gins. I think the Inverush was sort of four years before us and way before a trend. And, and we hit it at the right time. And our message was very appealing to the consumer. It was sexy, it was beautiful, it was aesthetic, it was new, the pink was completely new, and we delivered it to the consumer in that way. So, so I think there are many factors, and there's a lot of luck and timing to this as well. Mm. You know, I really do think that the guys who launched a couple of years after us, and you know, there's over 500 craft gins, and they, and they are struggling now in the market. It, it, they were just later, they were too late. Mm. And so... So I think being first, you know, you you have that foothold, you have that advantage always when you're first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, the the gin was also named after your yourself. I mean, you were the brand, and the and the brand was you, and and the gin kind of almost becomes synonymous with Simone Musgrave. And on the one hand, it's great because you become the face, the spokesperson, and I think it's something that you handled unbelievably well. And I think that's probably also, I would like to say, part of the success of the gin was I think that you also became a very accessible, very engaged, uh, very out there promoter of your own gin. But I suppose when you then have to exit that gin, it also then becomes a bit of a, well, what is Musgrave gin without Simone Musgrave? Absolutely. And I think in the early days, People did know who I was. And, I, and I, as you say, I put myself out there as the story. It was a family story. I could tell it better than anyone. But as the gin trend has developed and Musgrave has grown, a lot of people don't know who I am. And they, they don't know the backstory to the gin. Like many products, you know, you, you, the, it's, now you've got five gins on the shelf and you sort of know a little bit of story about a woman who produces it. So over the years, um, although I, I always found when I stepped in more, we sold more. And, and I'm not sure if that was a sales job or just that people like to have an identity. So it, it will be interesting to see going forward how my stepping out will affect uh, the brand. But what I did leave the brand with is a very solid story. And, you know, we speak about female empowerment. We speak about entrepreneurship in South Africa. We speak about the beauty of Africa. So there's many other themes in the brand, not just me. And of course, it's tough having your name on the bottle and, and stepping out. But then I guess so did Louis Vuitton and Chanel. And one day, hopefully, we can, we can stand up and say that, you know, that legacy lives on despite me being involved. Well, that's the ultimate secret and the ultimate success is when it outlives its founders for many decades and centuries uh, to come. Simone Musgrave, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you about the gin. I know you're also involved in quite a bit of talks at the moment. You're doing a lot of business mentorship. As you said, you're working on some new things right now. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure for you to take the time to be on the Santon Times Hour with me. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, cheers. Well, it's the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a quick musical break and more of the Santon Times Hour right after this. 
for more? The Santon Times Hour continues. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour on uh, Mix 93.8 with David Guetta and Morton with something to hold on. As we move into the second half of the Santon Times Hour, my name is Alexander Leipner. And uh, you know how this works. If you listen to the show regularly and you want to get all the details of some of the people we've spoken to, some of the information we spoke about, well, we're going to put all that information up on the show notes and you can go on there and find out a little bit more of, uh, about some of the topics that we spoke about uh, in this uh, week's edition. Also, if you want to check out our social media accounts, you can visit at Santon Times on uh, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, any of the platforms. You go on there and you can send me a direct message, uh, a voice note, a DM or a postcard, whatever works for you. And you can also uh, use the hashtag Santon Times Hour. Now, I'm really excited to speak to my next guest. Uh, it's always great to have uh, business leaders on the show. Uh, and one of those business leaders is joining me shortly. He looks after probably one of the most notable German luxury car brands in South Africa. It's, I think, become synonymous with car manufacturing uh, in this part of the world. His name's Andreas Brandt. He is the CEO of Mercedes-Benz South Africa. And Andreas, it's wonderful to have you on the Santon Times Hour. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Andreas, uh, congratulations. Uh, first off, it's 65 years now that uh, Mercedes-Benz has been manufacturing in South Africa. And maybe if you sort of cast your mind back, I know you haven't been here for the full 65 years, but uh, of the institutional knowledge that you can tap into, uh, what have been some of those milestones and those highlights for Mercedes-Benz uh, in, uh, in this part of the world? So first of all, uh, the, the 65 years are, are literally legendary. Uh, so if you look at... Uh, Look at our, our history. It all started actually earlier. So we, we imported the first Mercedes Velo in the 80s. For 65 years, we've been building now from CKD. We call it CKD. So we start by building, let's call it out of the box. And with the first C-Class generation, we started part by part, which was a tremendous change in the footprint of this company. And from that onwards, we have a strong legacy on the C-Class, as we all know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of those big stories, uh, I think that also puts uh, Mercedes on the map, especially in the South African context. And and forgive me for my uh, my uh, rough history here, but I remember that also Mercedes-Benz at the time also manufactured that iconic car when Nelson Mandela left prison. And I think it was his first car. I think it was manufactured by the Mercedes-Benz staff in the uh, manufacturing facilities. And I mean, that car is still, I think, in one of the museums to this day. This, this is 100% true. And I mean, that was, that was uh, goosebumps. You get goosebumps from when you look at the videos when, when the employees did that, did that car. Uh, literally every single well spot was done with the utmost passion that a person can invest. Um, the paintwork was done brilliantly. The, the assembly of the car was a matter of, of personal engagement between that vehicle and, and the person who, who we are building it for. So if you look at those videos from those days, this was it was this was legendary for sure. And uh, as I say, people, if you're visiting from overseas, if you if you're local, make a, a point of going to see that car. I think it's actually standing at the Apartheid Museum at the moment, but it could have also been moved around. I'm not quite sure. No, it it is there. It is there. Uh, and as per occasion, it's also moved around because it also becomes legends uh, and and also history of this country. Absolutely. So besides yep. being being a manufacturer, we are also shaping South Africa with the way we, we do our business. 
Yeah. Uh, we know South Africa is uh, of strategic and international importance for Germany. I think Germany has some of the biggest presence uh, of any international country in South Africa. And one of those businesses is Mercedes-Benz. Uh, you don't just distribute here. You don't just sell the vehicles here. You also manufacture in South Africa. Uh, what does it mean to you in terms of Mercedes-Benz's presence, um, not just, as I say, retailing, but also manufacturing in South Africa? It shows, basically, I'm here the second time. So if I would not love the country, I would not uh, reoccur, to be honest. So it, it shows my personal passion uh, towards, towards uh, what the team can do here. And why I say so, we're building the, the C-Class for, for 80 markets globally. And that shows the potential and the uh, passion that, that the team invests into each and every car to get it customer ready. And then we get it with our via our, our port here directly to those 80 countries. And whatever resonates with the customers in those 80 countries is a appreciation of the team here, but it's also appreciation of what South Africa in total uh, provides to the world. Yeah. So we are literally just one, one piece of the puzzle in the country, but we are really, really proud to get that positive feedback from the customers all around the globe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've probably faced some unique challenges of late, but I'm sure over the last 65 years, there's been plenty of interesting challenges that you experience in this market compared to other regions. And yet you remain in the country, you remain invested in the country, you remain uh, being a, a major employer in the country. Uh, why is that? Sometimes we, we seem to forget what was just recently announced. We, for this generation of, of, of the C-Class, we invested 13 billion rand into this facility, including our suppliers. So we have to keep that in mind. This is, this is really, a, a, a really appreciating uh, the footprint of Mercedes here in the country from a manufacturing point of view. So by doing that, we showcase that we really believe in the strength of this country. Do we have challenges? 100%. We feel that we are getting in the right direction, but we need more action in those topics that we probably touch later. But nevertheless, we showed our strong commitment to South Africa by investing those 13 billion. We are showing that with a C-class exporting to 80 countries, we say that we are globally relevant. And uh, now we have to tackle our challenges to uh, ensure our future. I mean, if I had to ask you your most successful car manufactured in South Africa to date, I have a strange feeling it might be the C-Class. Is that one of the biggest selling uh, vehicles for Mercedes-Benz in the region? Um, we must be, we must be uh, a little bit more precise. The, the footprint here only, <clears throat> only gets a um, rather smaller portion back into South Africa. Mm. And uh, our portfolio is always oriented on, on the customer demand. Um, so if the customer is looking for a Maybach, we will supply him with a Maybach. If he's looking for an AMG, he gets that. But there is an appetite for the C-Class. But uh, as usual, as a production manufacturer, you always want more. I mean, if you had to cast your mind back in terms of the manufacturing process, how has that evolved over the years from when Mercedes-Benz first started? And what kind of efficiencies have you brought in over the years? Yeah, if you if you look at the the first milestone was going from a from a CKD plant, which is basically pre-assembled and then complete the vehicle in a country to a part by part operation. With that step, it was a significant increase in the technology that we are getting uh, into car manufacturing. And if you see gradually moving along, every generation was edge cutting. Every and now the two hundred six topped up the 205, which is the last generation. So every every generation of C-Class has innovations, 
And uh, with all the innovations comes technology, and we are on top of it. Well, look, uh, without assuming too much, but I'm sure there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about this move now from the uh, the petrol engine or the diesel engine into the hybrid space. A uh, lot of debates around electricity, around uh, electric vehicles. Uh, what's keeping you up at night when, when you start thinking about this topic and, and making that transition? It's an excellent question. I think everybody who is in the industrial footprint has that uh, maybe sometimes headache sometimes passion but nevertheless we have to face it so we as a as a mercedes operations we already have since 2016 the so-called hybrid technology which mixes the or merges the combustion engine to a full electric car literally you can can run full electric with a hybrid so we are already since 2016 participating in that market globally with a new C-Class, with a 63 AMG, you have an, a performance hybrid, which is even blowing performance to a completely different level. That covers today and tomorrow, because the 206, the current C-Class, has a certain life cycle, and we're rather at the beginning of it. Do we have to act now towards the vision of 2030 on a full electric car? Definitely. Where is that beauty in that space? It's definitely the electric mobility component that we need for that time. Because most of us import engines. So let's question that status quo for the battery electric vehicle. Why can't we go into industrial footprint of, of battery electric mobility in total? And that's the question that the automotive industry is currently exploring. Not only Mercedes, but all of us. And uh, we make good progress, but we need now specific actions to move in that direction. Andres, where would you say is that uh, the tipping point now? Is is it a matter of uh, setting up the charging infrastructure? Is it a matter of demand? I, I'm sure there's a, you're sitting in between two chairs here right now in terms of uh, getting people into electric vehicles, but then people also saying, well, where do I charge it? And, and where, you know, how do I keep it going? I, I try to answer it the other way around. If I put myself into the shoes of a customer, what does he or she needs? He needs a proper luxury car. Tick in the box. We can provide it, and we already do, with a certain willingness to pay um, pay the price for it, to mm. literally get the car. The second thing is, where do I charge it? Because my petrol station is not my friend anymore. Mm. So I need to find a proper grid that supports my charging. But if you look at your personal view, how do you move your vehicle? Usually in most days between the place where you live and the place where you work. And these two locations need to be properly set up. So we offer solutions for charging at home. The companies and the employers need to embrace the topic of charging at work. And the third one is when you're going cross country to meet friends and, and make your holidays. And that's where you, where you charge, let's call it on the run. So these three items are crucial for a good customer experience. Coming from a brilliant car, over to charging and then the whole ecosystem around that. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got, uh, I mean, obviously a bit of timelines in terms of when you're hoping uh, this will reach critical mass. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of South Africa reaching that point where we start seeing maybe more electric vehicles on the road than, uh, than petrol vehicles? Yeah, we, we have a very ambitious uh, um, sales approach. Um, I think Mark mentioned that, that he wants to have in, in, in 10 years a significant uh, substantial increase. I'm rather looking at the, the whole globe with our manufacturing footprint, and that's a lot more complex because there are 18 markets moving into that space of electric mobility all at their own uh, pace. So South Africa, 
quite a good view globally, quite a fuzzy picture. And uh, our answer as a company is flexibility. Mm. So whenever the customer demand tips, we are ready to go. And is that also an exercise of also retooling a lot of the uh, manufacturing facilities in South Africa to be able to do electric? Because I think to build a, a petrol car is quite different to building a, a car with a lithium-ion battery and, and, and all the other accessories that go with it. Now, if you look at, if you look at the, the deeper details, that electric car has still four wheels uh, and it's rolling. So <laughs> technically, to build that car is... is I mean, we have to do something, but it's not, it's not rocket science. You're not flying to the moon. The challenge in building that car is not the assembly as such. The, it's the component that we have to get used to. And that's why we are so proud to have the hybrid, because we already, we already assemble a car with a hybrid battery. Just scale it up, make it bigger, and all of a sudden you have an electric car. So we need to invest a lot more into the supplier footprint, into the skill base of batteries. Mm. And let's call it elect electrical uh, powertrain. And it's not that much the assembly of the car. It's rather the what we call sourcing or the supplier base. That's where the beauty is. Right, yeah. But also the challenge. Right. Well, on a, on a lighter note, uh, and I know this is like asking a father about their favorite child. Andreas, do you have a, a, a favorite uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, in the entire range? That, uh, that you uh, absolutely adore? Absolutely. Absolutely, I must admit. I own an old Mercedes myself, an old SL, that goes far back into my early days of, of being allowed to drive. And, and it was my dream to, to buy one day such a car which was luxury and out of reach at all. Now it's sitting in my garage, and I'm, I'm every day proud of having that, that rather old-timer type of thing. Technically, it's not an old-timer yet, but I'm working on that. The second car is definitely, definitely the C63 that we're building uh, here in East London for the world. So I can only invite you to come over and, and, and share my passion for that vehicle. This is absolutely breathtaking uh, in terms of performance. Fantastic car. So if you answer your question properly, there's one legend and one present. Amazing. Well, there you have it. Andreas Brandt, he's the CEO of Mercedes-Benz South Africa, catching up on their 65th anniversary there. And watch out for that uh, video of Andreas and myself driving a C63 around a racetrack. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that. It's the Santon Times Hour. Thank you for joining me on the show. And we're going to take a quick musical break. More of the show right after this. Fitness starts when you pack your bag. It's a promise to yourself to live life well. So, kickstart your journey to summer wellness today with a Virgin Active bag, August membership free, plus access to a world of rewards. Call 0860 Get Fit or visit your nearest club. VirginActive.co.za. T's and C's apply. The best of talk and music in one hour. This is the Santon Times Hour. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and also available on all good podcast platforms wherever you are in the world. Uh, and if you are somewhere in the world and you're listening to this as a podcast, you would have missed that last track that we just played. But if you're listening to this live on radio, well, that was uh, Joe Bermudez and Louise Carver with Sunrise, the Mark Lower remix. Uh, how's that? We're talking about Louise Carver. She joins me on the line right now. It's good to chat her again. Uh, Louise. <laughs> oh thanks for playing that i actually love that version of sunrise so thanks yeah i also like gym it. songs <laughs> yeah <laughs> i also enjoy that uh, that remix i know that particular song got uh, a huge amount of remixes 
Yeah, I did. Um, and that's the way to do it. Um, you just basically flood the dance market with very different types of um, dance. You know, the DJs are very specific on what type of dance music they're going to play. I've been doing dance music since I was um, 18. There's always so much to learn and new new um, kind of genres of dance coming out. And my job is to sing good and write good melodies. And uh, it seems to work. So, <laughs> Well, that's why we're chatting, because you've got a tour coming up <laughs> called uh, yes. Home Tour Live. Tell us a little bit more about this. Yes. Well, completely the opposite of dance music. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a songwriter, I really do pride myself on you know, there's far better pianists out there, but I can write a good song. And um, over the years, have got quite a catalogue of work. But being a very proudly South African human, I love the arts, have just treasured the South African songs that I've grown up with, like Too Late for Mama, Brenda Fussy, and obviously the great Johnny Clegg, Bright Blues Weeping, Paradise Road, Joy. I don't know now, she's about 12 years ago, I did Home Tour Live originally, and it was sold out. We did another tour, sold out, made an album of it, and it was time to do it again. I just felt like the morale needed a boost. We've got a lot going on, and our job as artists is to actually, especially as musicians, is to make you think, but also uplift the spirits. So that's where that idea came back, to do it again, but change up the, the songs. Yeah, I mean, I think you might have touched already on my next question because I was going to ask you, how do you go Sorry. about curating? <laughs> no, it's not a problem. How do you go about curating a, a, a playlist like this? Because, I mean, obviously, the easy way is to kind of uh, go for all the hits, go for all the big numbers that everybody knows. Uh, and then there's a, a bit of a more, more nuanced approach where you kind of go for mm. something that has a bit of meaning to you and that tells a little bit of a story. Mm. That's exactly right. You have to come from the heart and from where you're passionate for me, that's how I chose the set list. Look, everything has to be a hit because it's a 75-minute packed show. So um, I'm not going, you know, off an album track that never saw the light of day. That's very beautiful. That's maybe another show for another time. This is about hits. So I've chosen kind of, uh, I don't know, about eight of my big hits, uh, like Home, Empty Fantasy, Warrior, and then uh, about eight of uh, other people's hits. That, but but not only are they hits, I've had to have resonated with them, particularly in childhood. And then, you know, being a real adult musician, <laughs> um, meeting uh, other artists and falling in love with their songs. So I do um, Shallow Waters with Art Matthews. And there's quite a few, actually, a Prime Circle. Um, and these are all, they're great friends of mine and I have deep respect for them. So those will weave their way into the show. But then, yeah, um, there's one non-South African song um, that just, it's almost, I think, on a million uh, hits on Spotify. I did it a few years back. Give me hope, Joanna. Oh, right. And yeah. uh, it just is so relevant to the times. Obviously, we're no longer dealing with apartheid, but we have other issues. So um, it's it's kind of give us hope. <laughs> and it just did so well. I thought I must include it. And it's, it, you know, every time you do it live, it just gets such a great response. So I've included that one yeah. as well. Well, obviously, you're not on stage by yourself. You've got a couple of other people joining you on stage. Tell us a little bit more about uh, this uh, this trio of musical brilliance that is joining you uh, for the show. Yeah, thanks. Um, some Piwe Kula from the band The Muffins is my everything, actually. We met uh, many, many years ago. I don't remember him. <laughs> he was in a choir at, at uh, UJ, and uh, I was brought in to sing with the choir. 
then I bumped into him when I was making my latest album. He works for Audio Militia, which does all the big music ad campaigns. Um, you'll see them on YouTube. And he walked in and he was like, hi, do you remember me? And we started chatting and I said, do you want to contribute something on the album? Just send me something. I'm, I'm really looking for a very sexy groove. Um, we were in the middle of COVID. I wanted something that reminded me of Deutsch um, prawn curry sitting on the beach in Mozambique, a sexy kind of sunset group. And he sent me such a gorgeous African, but also modern African groove. And I wrote the track, Take My Hand. And I loved it so much that he did another song on the album. And then I said, do you want to come on tour with me? And so we've done two tours together. And now we are pretty much inseparable. <laughs> I love him very much. And he really adds hugely to the show. He not only is a brilliant producer, he's also a guitarist. Um, and uh, he, he sings, obviously, as the Muffins. He is amazing. And our voices together, his big kind of deep African voice and in my fluty kind of Celtic voice together merges and it's very special. So we've been doing that for almost two years now, traveling around the country. And um, I thought for this, I needed a percussive sound. So I just called up the best guy and <laughs> I've got him, <laughs> Kenny Williams, and he is just brilliant. So we, we're a trio of seasoned musicians that um, are very excited to do the show. Oh, tremendous. Well, if you're keen to go see Louise Carver and her trio of brilliant musicians, uh, you can go watch <laughs> Home Tour Live. It kicks off on the uh, 2nd and 3rd of September in Johannesburg and then actually moves around the country. I mean, some of it's almost international, uh, Pater Noster and Krugersdorp. Uh, I mean, I almost feel like you need to, <laughs> need to get a visa for that. But for the rest of it, there's also uh, Durban, Cape Town as well. We're going to put all the details up on the today, and you can get all the details Thanks. there about Home Tour Live. And Louise Carver, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thanks, Alex. And Hello. I really appreciate the support. <laughs> and that's it for another Santa Times Hour on Mix 93.8 and always available on all good podcast platforms wherever you are in the world. If you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santantimes.co.za or connect with us on social media at Times, And also visit the website www.santantimes.co.za and feel free to send through your questions, your comments, your feedback and your input. All of those are always welcome. Thank you to all my guests who made time to be on the show this week, especially you, Vincenzo, as well. You've Always making time to be on the show for every single week. And then also thank you to the Santon Times team as well as everyone on Mix 93.8. And of course, thank you to you, our fantastic audience. And let's connect again next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Santon Times Hour. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to share it. 